to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725, or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from, actually, a couple different locations across the United States, we have two names which, for many people, will be very, very familiar. Joining us on the Law Enforcement Today show, we have Javier Pena and Steve Murphy. They are both retired DEA agents, and they're also the characters in the story on the Netflix series, Narcos. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us on the Law Enforcement Today show. Thank you, Jake. I'm glad to be here. Yep, me too. Thank you, Jake. It's a pleasure having you here. And I, I know you guys are so busy, and we got so much to talk about. I have a funny feeling we're going to have to do another interview later on down the road. Before we get into the conversation, tell me what you guys got going on and where people get more information about what you're doing now. Well, Jay, we got uh, never thought we'd be this busy in retirement. Uh, we've got our book out now, so we're staying busy with that. We're into the fifth year of our world speaking tour, where we go around and tell the true story about Pablo Escobar. We've been working with an organization to bring awareness to counterfeit medications coming into the United States. We've been on Capitol Hill twice, uh, once before the Senate, once before the House. Uh, we're working on a project called the Lost Clipper which involves the disappearance and murder of 15 Americans in the South Pacific in 1938. And we believe we've now tied it into the disappearance of Amelia Earhart in 1937. Mm. Um, that, that involves some really venturesome travel. And more recently, we've just gotten approvals just before the pandemic really went into full swing to do a television series about the real DEA. So things are a little bit busy in our world. And by the way, you can get more information. You guys have a website that's deanarcos.com, correct? Yes, sir. Who'd have thought when you guys were, I use the term policing, and it pretty much covers everything. When you guys were doing what you do in in Colombia as DEA agents and, and hunting down the bad guys, did you ever once in your life think you'd be in a position to do what you're doing now, Javier? <laughs> no, never at all. 
Matter of fact, I remember one night in Medellin when we were searching for Pablo Escobar, one of the majors said, yeah, you know what, one of those days someone's going to write or do a movie about all this stuff. I said, who's going to watch it? There's no interest in Pablo Escobar. Boy, was I wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, so, it's kind of nice because I can imagine that conversation. Yeah, I mean, it was like, hey, we're we're out here in the middle, you know, searching, you know, no one's going to be interested in, in all of this. So we were just very surprised, you know, even when uh, Netflix uh, got a hold of us. But, you know, I mean, Pablo Escobar was killed in uh, 1993, and here we are later, still, uh, still going strong, Jake. The funny thing is, I, I had a chance to talk to Steve before, and we talked about some people that, when I was in Baltimore, in the Baltimore Police Department, I was detailed the DEA, the Baltimore office, and uh, worked on Jamaican cocaine organizations, and also backed up other agents and, and officers, part of the task force, uh, and, and arrests throughout Washington, D.C., Baltimore, other parts of Maryland, and flew to Miami. And, you know, that was a really big deal at the time. But I got to meet a lot of men and women, their DEA agents, and I got a chance to work with them and get an understanding of what they do. And I really don't think that too many people in the United States have a very strong concept of what the DEA does. Steve, you want to handle that? Sure. You know, DEA is the only single mission agency in the federal government, only single mission law enforcement agency in the federal government. Our mandate is to enforce the narcotics trafficking laws uh, as in accordance with the U.S. Code. Now, that also includes money laundering and, and, of course, other peripheral crimes come along inside of that. But one of the unique things about DEA is it's the only agency other than the IRS that brings in more money than it spends. And it's because of all the asset seizures and forfeitures. We have offices not only in the United States, but around the world. We have the largest federal footprint outside the United States of any of the other uh, federal law enforcement agencies, which is what makes DEA unique, but also makes it successful. And as you know, and all the cops out there, you know, when, when I call you a cop, that's a term of endearment. Absolutely. I've been a cop for 38 years. You know, we tell you it's not just a career. It's not a job. It's a lifestyle. I know you know exactly what we're talking about. Uh-huh. Everybody else and everything else in your life suffers because of our commitment to the job, right? Absolutely. I, I saw that myself in, in policing in Baltimore, but I got to work with some men and women that they would be detailed for quite a long period of time in, in various parts of Columbia. And I thought to myself, you know, I thought being a cop in Baltimore was tough. And I had no idea what they were doing, what they're going through. And I'll be honest with you, yeah. I've gotten to the point where when I watch television, uh, when it comes to police-related, any kind of police-related drama, I watch it with like a lot of jaded cynicism because they usually butcher it so badly. Uh, but I found your series, Narcos, to be a Hollywood effort, one of the best I've seen. Wow. You know what, Jay? And when it first came out, you know, I told Steve, I said, Steve, wow, I watched the first... Uh, you know, the first episode, I said, man, it's the same thing. No one's going to watch this, man. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was like, what? The ratings are what? Through the roof? People are watching it? It's, it's a surprise for us all that uh, it's been a, a, a big hit. But like I said, when it first came out, just 
obviously there you know there's there's hollywood in there yeah. there's a lot of uh, what they call artistic uh, licenses in the show but it, you know what it makes for a good show it's entertaining you know there's some things that are right on there's some things that are not you know but uh, anyway it, it is uh, it has been had a lot of ratings for those of you who have not seen Narcos yet, it's on Netflix. And what are the benefits, if there are, of this whole COVID-19 isolation thing? Is my wife and I have binge-watched a lot of stuff. And we watched those. And I'm not going to be a spoiler. We all know what happened to Pablo Escobar. But I'm not going to be a spoiler and tell you what happened. All I'll say is this. Season 3 is the one that threw me. I, I could see a lot of things in there that are like, eh, it just doesn't seem right. Um, so people watch it. Judge for yourselves. I want to say this. Did you ever in your life think that you guys would be the subject of a television series ever? <laughs> Honestly, that was the furthest thing from our minds. You know what, Jay? I thought I would be in retirement. I thought I'd be one of the blue coat security guys at the federal building telling all you cops put your stuff in the x-ray machine you're not carrying a weapon in the federal courthouse <laughs> yeah and, and, and do what i do soak up the florida sunshine that's what i do i'm so fair though i have to put like sunscreen on looking at pictures and postcards of the sun because i burn so badly we are talking with steve murphy and javier pena they are both retired dea agents they are the subjects of the netflix series narcos we're going to, when we return we're going to talk about the hunt for pablo escobar we're going to talk about what they're doing there's a lot of fascinating things coming up the place to be online is our facebook page do a search on facebook for law enforcement today radio show you'll get access to unique news articles editorials and so much more that's law enforcement today radio show on facebook this is the law enforcement today show don't go anywhere we'll be right back All too often, we find ourselves getting asked, where can I find other great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Because of this, we decided to create our own network of podcasts here on Law Enforcement Today. You can access top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and free app. Head to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you will find our network link where we will continue to add podcasts from first responders and more. Remember, that's letradioshow.com to find out more information about Law Enforcement Today, our podcast network, and to download our free app, letradioshow.com. Back to the Law Enforcement Today show. We are joined by Steve Murphy and Javier Pena. They, these guys are like big time. They are the retired DE agents who are featured in the Netflix series, Narcos. If you haven't watched it, check it out. It's an excellent show. And then there's a spinoff where it was a Narcos Mexico, I believe. And I remember being a young police and uh, watching from a distance what you guys were doing in Colombia and the hunt for Pablo Escobar and all the violence that, that came as a result of the cartels that people casually seem to forget about very easily. And then also what happened to Kiki Camarena in Mexico. So I remember those vividly, but for people who aren't familiar, and a lot of us aren't, the DEA, we think of two things. We think of Narcos, or we think of Miami Vice, that everything's like that. You have million-dollar loft apartments, you drive Ferraris, uh, got great equipment, mind you, but nothing like that. 
Uh, Steve, what did you do before going into DEA and figured this is what you want to do? Well, you know what, Jay? In 1975, I started as a uniformed police officer in a small town in southern West Virginia, a little place called Bluefield. We only had 35 officers. So I worked uniform patrol for six years, and then I switched over and became a special agent with the Norfolk and Western Railroad Company, which is now Norfolk Southern Railroad. Did that for five and a half years, but... You know, it it was, I love being uniform. I can't imagine being a uniform cop today with everything that's going on. God bless everybody out there in uniform. Yeah. But um, I did have the opportunity in 1976 to pop a kid. We didn't know he was a kid at the time, but he was selling pound quantities of weed. And my partner and I, we set the guy up through an informant. Sure enough, he shows up with one pound of weed. In 1976 in southern West Virginia, one pound of, of marijuana, that was a lot of dope. And I, I just love the excitement associated with it, you know, the fact that you jump out and just because they have no idea that you're a cop and that you're getting ready to bust them. And that just kind of stuck with me through my career. Um, had a, a fellow special agent on the railroad that was a former Virginia state trooper. He worked with the DA task force out of Roanoke, Virginia, and he used to tell me stories. And he was my real encouragement uh, to get involved with DEA to learn more about it. Uh, still one of my best friends in my entire life, uh, and I give him all the credit for really pushing me and keeping me encouraged to, to get the job because it took over two years to get hired by DEA back then. And back then, I think you had a different name. That was back when they were the Bureau of Narcotics or something. Well, I'm old, but I'm not that old. Well, the reason I, th- I bring it up is, first of all, I, it's kind of, it doesn't fit the Hollywood stereotype the dea agent was a a cop in a little town in west virginia and then working for a railroad as police and all of a sudden not all of a sudden there's a big transition but once you got hired and went through training eventually you wound up in columbia and we'll talk more about that javier how did you get into policing and the dea yeah and and you know what i'm I'm from a little place called hebronville texas population five thousand so that's where i grew up and it's 50 miles out of Laredo. So basically, I was uh, I got involved. I was working with the sheriff's office. There was an opening. I applied and uh, gave me the opportunity to uh, go to school, college during the day. So I worked at night at the sheriff's office and then, uh, man, went home, changed, and went to class like a lot of us did, right? Noon, I was out, then back, uh, go staying with my grandparents, go sleep for a while, then go at it again about 7 o'clock at nighttime. So anyway, Basically, I was looking to, you know, see the world, get out of that. You know, I was in South Texas, and uh, so I saw uh, uh, in the on the bulletin board uh, posters that, that DEA was hiring. And you know what? I did not know what DEA was. I had to ask a buddy of mine. He said, oh, they're the federal marks. But what intrigued me was I was at the sheriff's office. Like I said, I came on in 77. I was making ten grand a year. And I remember DA the the narcs were paying what seventeen thousand dollars a year. A like, fortune. Wow, that's a lot of money, man. <laughs> so so I applied and it took about a year and then all of a sudden, you know, I wanted to go to New York, Miami, LA. I wanted to go to a big office where they send me to Austin, Texas. Uh-huh. Capital of Texas, which is where the music industry was breaking out, you know what I'm saying? So and it was fun for me being uh being in Austin, Texas. Did that for about four years before I went to Columbia. One of the things it's, there's a misconception a lot of people have, and they think 
I'll just say an example. A lot of the, I worked narcotics for many years in Baltimore, and I came from Southern Maryland. I came from the sleepy country. I was a Navy brat, raised everywhere, uh, and I excelled in it, in the parts that I did. And a lot of people I worked with came from Pennsylvania, Ohio, New Jersey, and they came from small towns, and they were fabulous police. They were really good at what they did. But we tend to think that the people who really excel, especially in narcotics investigation, come from the big cities, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles. That's not the case with either one of you guys. No, not at all. Like I said, in in Austin, Texas, crank, I remember, you know, the methamphetamine was being uh, manufactured. I don't know if some of y'all remember the the P2P, phenol 2 propanol. It was an ingredient, and it was that, you know, the the uh, crank-type meth. Now it's changed, but that was also big in Austin. The marijuana industry was big. LSD was big, believe it or not. So you learned a lot of the street stuff, and you learned uh, the smaller, you know, I mean, it's... uh, a lot of surveillances. I did a lot of undercover because you know I'm Hispanic, so it it was you learned a lot in the smaller environments because you had to do everything. Yeah, that's another misconception, and I have to apologize because being a, a cop in Baltimore, I automatically assumed that the the police and the sheriff's deputies in the smaller counties didn't do anything, and it, it took a long time for me to realize where we had maybe. 2,800 police, and backup was right around the corner. Those brothers and sisters, they were out there. Backup was a long ways away, and they had to do everything. Uh, they couldn't call, like, uh, a detective all the time. They they had to do the crime scene. They had to do everything. So you guys, you really got schooled in policing 101. You did, and just like Javier said, you had to be able to handle the situation. Uh, sometimes you had to be able to talk yourself out of a... a, a- but just to be kind of honest with you, because, you know, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of backup in those smaller areas like that. But no detectives. You had to be able to con- do your own fingerprints, do the preliminary crime scene investigation. It just taught you all the different elements and you know, the entire realm of what law enforcement's about. At the time, you know, it's just your job and, and you're doing it. You're doing the best you can. But it really pays off in the long run to have all that experience. And, and uh, that carried over into our federal careers as well. Well, one of the things that, and I don't say this to be nasty or mean, being when like earlier you said in the conversation, when I use the term cop, that's very much a term of endearment. And uh, when I lo- talked about the feds, the Secret Service had their things to do. I never had any dealings with them, so to speak. The FBI were known as suits. Uh, the ATF and the DEA out of the federal agencies were the only two that really had a reputation, at least in my book and with a lot of people I worked with, as being real police and real cops. You know, it was, for me, it was the same way. When I was a local cop and a railroad cop, I mean, you know, we all give the FBI guys a hard time, whether they deserve it or not. You know, they're the easy Well, target. because it's fun and it's easy and it's, well, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. We had so much ribbing between us and the state police that, that kind of carried on with the feds. We're going to take a short break. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. We're talking with... Steve Murphy and Javier Pena, both retired DE agents, and they are the subject of the television series Narcos on Netflix. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem 
of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost, and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. Return conversation with Steve Murphy and Javier Pena. They're both retired DEA agents. By the way, thank you for your service, gentlemen. And they are the uh, subjects and inspiration for the television series Narcos on Netflix. And that series, if you've not seen it, really focuses on their efforts in Colombia. When I say they, uh, the DEA, Steve, Javier, to, to capture Pablo Escobar, uh, who was one of the biggest wealthiest, most powerful, and most vicious uh, drug kingpins that, well, there have been quite a few, but he's really up there. Um, so when you haven't seen it, check it out on Netflix. When I was policing in, in Baltimore, and I'm going to flashback to being a 20-year-old kid, getting hired, going to the academy, turning 21, uh, learning what you learn in the academy, thought I knew everything, thought I was really prepared, hit the streets, and I had no concept of what was going on. And it was like being picked up and put in a different part of the world. You guys literally had to go from policing, do what you're doing in Texas and West Virginia, eventually migrating DEA, a couple assignments there, and then you're sent to Columbia, literally another part of the world. Uh, Steve, let's start with you, because you went there first, correct? No, no. I, I was when I came out of the academy. I went to Miami for four years. But Javier, I ended up spending three years in Columbia. Javier was there for six and a half years, so he got there three years before I even got to Bogota. Okay, all right. I think that the series showed that in a different light. But we'll start with you then, Javier. You- yeah, yeah. And uh, I got there to Columbia, and I volunteered from Austin, Texas. You know, I was working the small. Uh, traffickers and I was going to see what the major leagues was all about so I volunteered got to Columbia in 88 and I did not ask for the case I was given the case my boss was there so yeah you could be working the public bar investigation and I had heard of him but I really didn't know being from Texas much about him and uh, so I soon uh, hooked up with our you know with our partners the Columbia National Police they had a specialized group going after Pablo Escobar and boy were we in for a big surprise as far as uh, who Pablo Escobar was and in essence, you know, and I think you hit it best when you said, yeah, he's like the the number one vicious trafficker out there. We call Pablo Escobar the inventor of narco-terrorism. He's the one who, in, you know, uh, started the, the car bombs, the terrorism at uh, public buildings, took down on a commercial airline, put a bomb on a commercial airline, killed 
the next president of Colombia, a guy by the name um, Galan. Uh, anyway, so, uh, and it was, you know, it, it was something we had never seen in the narcotics world. You know, and back then, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, what I tell people sometimes, you know, back in the uh, early 80s, you'd, you'd arrest a trafficker, and you know what? There was respect. You know, there was yeah. no fighting. You know, it was like, hey, you caught him nowadays. You don't know, think everybody's got a gun, you know, that you arrested. So, anyway, we learned who Pablo Escobar was, and, and like I said, we were not used to this because of the terrorism in all the innocent people that that he was uh, killed in, so we we had to adapt real quick. I'm sure there's a big adjustment. So you would you were in Colombia how many years total? About six and a half. I did. Uh, I, said I got there in '88, left '94 after Pablo Escobar was killed. Then I went back in '99 because I had been promoted to the number two guy in Colombia. Oh, so now we're talking to brass as well. So <laughs> the change in tone of my conversation. It, it amazes me. What, I hated brass just I'll as everybody bet. did. I'll <laughs> bet. Uh, two, two things that really struck me, that, and maybe Steve can answer this, uh, is when we have any type of television drama from Hollywood, and they especially focus on either Central America or South America with drugs. They, they do two things. Number one, they portray everyone in the community as being somehow implicated in the drug game. And the other one that I find very, very offensive, to be honest with you, actually makes me angry, is they portray every police and every, and I know a lot of the departments down there are military, but they portray all of them as being somehow corrupt and that a lot of them don't lose their lives. Is that true? Well, you know what, Jay? That's a great question because, you know, I've got 12 years' experience. I go to Miami as a new DEA agent. I'm there for four years, 1989. My partner got shot in a deal gone bad. We got in a little gun battle, and uh, he got hit twice with 45 caliber slugs. Our informant was killed on site. Um, and, and then to get the opportunity to go to Columbia, and, you know, they don't just send you. You have to volunteer to go down there. So I'm going to Columbia, and the only Columbians I've ever met in my life were the ones I'd put in jail in Miami. So I'm thinking the same thing that you just said. This whole country's corrupt. I can't trust anybody down there. Get there, meet Javier. He had another partner at the time named Gary Sheridan. The three of us got to be really good friends. Uh, Gary got promoted, moved on, and that's how Javier and I became permanent partners. But what I found and my wife found also is that Colombians, the honest, hardworking, taxpaying citizens down there, are some of the nicest people I've ever met in the world. They're very accepting. If you go in, now, if you go in with that ugly American attitude, they'll tell you real quick where to get off. But if you go in and, and you're in their culture, you know, we're, I don't want to be down the, as the ugly American, but you go down, we tried to get along in their culture. My wife spoke no Spanish. She knew some words. She would go shopping. She would barter prices. She would take things back and exchange them all by herself. And I'm asking, how do you do that? And what we learned about the Colombians is if you go in, have a smile on your face, an open attitude, you know, be willing to laugh at yourself when you make mistakes because they, they think it's funny, too. Just some of the nicest, nicest people we ever met. So much so that my wife and I ended up adopting two little Colombian girls. Uh, Monica was eight months old when we got her. Mandy was five months old when we got her. Now they're in their mid-20s. Uh, one's married, got her own daughter. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It was so different, like you said, from what I expected when I got there. A great surprise, very pleasant surprise. And maybe that's just 
one of the devices they like to use to, to build drama. Because uh, I, I revert back also to the conversation about the military and the police. And maybe Javier, you can address this. I got to imagine that, yeah, just like anywhere, you're going to have some bad apples. You're going to have some people that, that are, are heavily into the gray area. Uh, but the vast majority of them are good-hearted people and, and very dedicated to what they do. Is that what you experienced? That's exactly what we experienced. The, the majority of the cops were great cops. And the problem at the beginning, going after Pablo Escobar, we made a mistake. We brought in some cops that were from Medellin, Colombia. So no one knew. What, what did Pablo Escobar do? He got to their families. So basically, you know, he threatened the, the families. He said, tell your kid, man, if there's a raid coming or there's something uh, on me, I need to be notified. So some of the cops we were working with, and they weren't that many. I mean, it was like, hey, my family's going to get killed, or do I inform that we're going after Pablo Escobar. So after we learned, and we had a couple of our guys arrested, you know, for giving information, we learned that Pablo Escobar got to their family. So from there on, we brought in cops that were not from Medellin. It was a basic lesson, but the majority of the guys we worked with, you know, they were good because they, I mean, you know what? They, they hated Pablo Escobar. They, it was, they, they could not be bought. It was a personal war, you know what I'm saying? It was personal between them, us, and, and Pablo Escobar because of all the cops. Pablo Escobar was killed, you know? Just for example, he put bounties on police officers. Can you imagine? We had never heard of. And then all of a sudden, uniformed guys were getting killed on a daily basis, and it was $100 a head. You know, that that is pathetic for human life. But thousands of police officers got killed because of the bounties on them, the sicarios. The assassins working for Pablo Escobar for $100. That is, like I said, something that is, you just cannot you know, uh, imagine it's, it's, it was the worst. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Steve Murphy and Javier Pena, both retired DEA agents, and they are the subjects of the inspiration for the Netflix film uh, Narcos. They've got more coming up, a lot of things to tell you about. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, Click like and follow. We return. We're going to talk about the hunt for Pablo Escobar and more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Remember in the beginning when you first started to build a life for you and your family, you never imagined it would come to this. Instead of living your dreams, you're living with debt. In fact, it's smothering you. Now there's a way you can take back control with one simple call. If you owe $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you qualify to receive a free, no-obligation consultation on how to get rid of that debt for good. Call the Debt Helpline now. We work on your behalf to reduce your debt. We specialize in credit cards, retail store cards, and medical bills. One simple call is all it takes to get the ball rolling to a debt-free life. Stop living with debt and start living your dreams. Call the Debt Helpline now. 800-709-4389-800-709-4389-800-709-4389. That's 800-709-4389. 
This is the Law Enforcement Show. I'm joined by two guests calling from different parts of the United States. We have Steve Murphy. He'll tell you all about Murphy's Law. Uh, and he also is a partner and the DEA, Javier Pena, both retired, both career agents, both sus- subjects of the, I almost said suspects, subjects of the Netflix series, Narcos, which focused on the hunt for Pablo Escobar. Uh, again, I want to say this, gentlemen, thank you for your service. Uh, I, I know it was tough on me. I know it's tough on a lot of people I worked with, uh, but we never had to leave the country and be exposed to what I can say from what I know and from what I've seen is unspeakable violence at the hands of Pablo Escobar and his cartel. You guys had a heck of a job in your years of dedication. Let's talk about trying to capture the the largest, most vicious narco-terrorist, inventing the term narco-terrorism in the world at the time with the resources you had. And basically, you guys were learning on the fly as you went along because there was no blue, there's no book on this, was there? You know what? There was nothing uh, we had to learn while we were there. And you know what? One of the things that really uh, helped us as Steve and I were actually we lived with the search block. The search block was the group that was only going for Pablo Escobar. And our only target was Pablo Escobar. You know what? And the cops would tell us, Steve, Javier, we're not in here to seize money. We're not in here to seize dope. We're here to either capture and or kill Pablo Escobar. That is our main mission. And real quick, you know what helped us also? In the U.S., we organized groups to go after Pablo Escobar's uh, uh, partners after his organization working in Miami, New York, L.A. So we were dismantling the organization from from the U.S. to Colombia. But like I said, the search at the beginning, real quick, it was hard because people did not go up against Escobar. Nobody wanted to snitch on him. It was not until the second time when Steve and I moved in that things uh, started changing. But the, the, the search was based on, you know, he would know when we were coming. And again, the terrorism, I, I can't overemphasize, you know, the, the car bombs on a daily basis, the assassinations, the bombing from buildings, the cops getting killed. So it, it was, like I said, something we, we had to learn. And by by us being there at the second time after Pablo Escobar's escape from his uh, penthouse is when things really started to change. I know me. I know I'm a bit of a hothead. I have a funny feeling that Steve might have been the hothead of the partnership for you two. Uh, am I correct there? Was it Steve or was it you, Javier? Who was the, the fire plug and who was the voice of reason? You know what? I mean, we were very different. The real, basically, I'm or, I'm disorganized, and Steve is very organized. So, <laughs> so anyway, I'll let uh, Steve uh, go ahead. <laughs> you know, um, I guess we both had our moments. You know, just to be honest with you, but in the show Narcos, it shows us fighting and arguing and shoving each other around the hallways. The truth is, Javier and I have never had even had a disagreement, and we've been partners since 1991. So it's, it's just an example how not everything you see in Narcos is true. There's a right. lot of literary licensing in there. And and even on the day that Pablo was killed, in Narcos, it shows that I was on the roof when he was killed by the Colombian National Police. That's absolutely not true. That's Hollywood. I was back at the base. Um, I was in the colonel's office as the operation was going down, listening on the radio with everybody else. 
that was a very elite group of Colombian National Police officers. And those that particular group is the guys that Javi and I worked with uh, the whole time we were there. It's called Dahin. But that's one of the points of our story is we want the world to know who the real heroes are. You know, as a cop, we get called <laughs> all kinds of names. Most of them you can't repeat, especially right. in mixed company with ladies around. But now people say, oh, Javi and Steve, you guys are heroes. No, we're not. We were professional law enforcement officers that got an opportunity to work a, a really, really big drug case. You know, the case of a lifetime. And thank the good Lord, it worked out in our favor. But what we tell the world is we want everybody to know the true heroes of that entire investigation were the Colombian National Police. Because they took their country back from that piece of trash, Pablo Escobar. By the There's the real heroes, and we also... The guy who led the search, Colonel Hugo Martinez, his boss, General Octavio Vargas Silva, this guy's never gave up. They're the ones who kept pushing and not giving up even when their partners were, were getting killed. So it's uh, our hats go off to them. And they probably did it for very little money as well, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. A lot of money was being offered. And uh, like I said, we never took it. Some guys did. Now, I gotta, we got to say that. Some guys did take it. It, and that's unfortunate. I, and I really don't want to focus on it because you said earlier, there's a lot of reasons. And I would love to sit there and tell you, I, I'm a pretty regimented guy when it comes to my moral compass and moral structure and integrity, stuff I'd never do. But I was never put in a position where my family was threatened. I was never put in positions where a lot of these other guys were threatened and you had, like you said, uh, car bombs and, and people and police being assassinated on a daily basis. I was never in that position. And I really don't know how I'd react if I was in a position, I would hope that I'd be the same guy as I am today. And you will be. The, and, and the thing that, and you're going to hear Plata or Ploma, bullet or money, that was another tactic. They come in, offer you 100000 bucks. you know, drop the charges. Remember, the judge kicked them out. The next day, they killed the judge and his family, so people started accepting those briefcases. Yeah. You know what, Jay, I agree 100% with what Javier said. You'd have done the same thing we did because you were professional. You'd have stepped up. You'd have done your job just like other every other American police officer out there. We've got a couple of bad apples that's making us all look bad, making bad decisions. But the truth is, over 99% of American law enforcement are heroes. Yes, they okay, are. What's going on? I'm not in favor of racism or any of that, but that's the honest to God truth. It's the, it's the absolute truth, and nobody has less tolerance for corrupt borderline or uh, abusive, brutal police than other police. I can tell you that from my own experience. We didn't tolerate it then, and we don't tolerate it now. And I know people love the, this this concept of the thin blue wall of silence. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't exist. Um, and people can take that and do with it what they will. Before we run out of time, you guys, two points. I had to say that sometime during your assignment in Columbia, you had a request to go there. You didn't get the choice of what job you're given. You're given what you're given, like most places. But it had to be a point where you said, that's it. I'm leaving. I'm going back to Oklahoma or somewhere where I don't have to deal with this nonsense. Uh, but you toughed it out. Uh, and my hat's off to you because that's not easy to do. To go back to the conversation, there had to be a point where you thought, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, will this make a difference? Will anybody really care? And look what's happening to you and your guys' careers now. Did you ever think that it happened? <laughs> no, really. I, we are, we're more surprised by than anybody 
by the success of, of the show Narcos, by the interest that we see, uh, not just here in the United States, and it's actually more popular in other parts of the world. The, our biggest fans come from the country of India, believe it or not. Europe is extremely popular. Um, Australia, New Zealand, very popular. This is the last thing we <laughs> honestly ever thought we'd be doing. and never even considered that something like this would happen in retirement. So what are some of the things you guys got going on now? I know you're really busy. Well, the, the biggest thing we have going on right now is, is because of the pandemic, all of our speaking events and all of our, our book promotion events have been postponed or canceled. We've done a couple of conferences virtually, um, but um, our book has taken up a lot of time uh, on our schedules right now. We're doing a lot of podcasts, a lot of interviews like we're doing with you today. Um, and promoting our, our website. It's deanarcos.com. And if, if you're interested in our story and our book, you can go on our website. There's a ton of photographs. There's interviews. There's links to all kinds of stuff. We're all over social media. You know, four years ago, I couldn't tell you what Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that junk is. Now we're all over it. Yeah. <laughs> but what we offer is uh, you can buy the book on Amazon. It's Manhunters, How We Took Down Pablo Escobar. Uh, you can get it on eBay, uh, I think Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. Those places have it. We're in, uh, I think, 21 countries now. It's published. But if you order it on our website, that's the only place you can get autographed and personalized copies of our book. It's not just about the, the story of Pablo Escobar. We talk about how we grew up, some of the other cases we were involved with in our careers, and then we end up with the Escobar story. So it's um, we're excited that, you know, first of all, that we have a story, and second of all, that people want to read about our story. You can get <laughs> more details about it. about it, about Javier and Steve and their book at DEANarcos.com. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Jay, it's an honor to be here with you. Yep. Thank you. Me having. too. Yep, thank you, Jay. We appreciate it, buddy. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. we got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Be sure to get yours today. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. Got another great guest in your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.